your Bible to the book of Jonah. We're starting a, uh, a series this morning called uh, Majors in the Minors, and we've talked about this for a while, about what do are, what are, what are the minor prophets have to tell us, and what do these little bitty books and these little stories have to tell us, and, and what can we glean from them and learn from them. And there's actually 12 minor prophets, and they're affectionately called the Book of Twelve. And usually in your Bible, they're going to be spaced out there in order, or most of them are. And so I think it's important that we, we not lose sight that, that just because something has a minor tag to it doesn't mean that it has a, a major opportunity and a major message for us. I mean, this baseball season, I know for some of you, you're, you're, you're really lamenting the fact that you can't be at, at Minute Maid or, or watch baseball. And I don't know about you, but it's just not the same watching old reruns with baseball. And of course, then again, for me, it is the same, to be honest, because I'm not a big baseball fan, and, and I, I, it, it's a slow game for me. But golf is back, and so that, that, should, uh, that should give us a little excitement, right? And we saw, if you didn't see a couple of weeks ago, two of football's greatest actually battled it out on the, uh, on the links, uh, Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady. And so, so they're, they're major football players, but they're minor golfers, right? And so sometimes the minors have some good things. And if you've ever tracked any, any of your favorite baseball players, you know that in the minor leagues is where they often come up and they, they fight to get to the major leagues. And once you're there, you, you finally made it. And, and, and that's why I wanted to look at the, the minor prophets as we look for the next 12 weeks. We're going to go through one, uh, one of the prophets a week and just kind of see some of the big themes that are in there. Now, Jonah is a familiar story, and we all uh, probably heard that about this, this guy that uh, gets swallowed up by this big fish. And, of course, there's all the debate, is that possible or not? And, look, I'll just tell you, nothing's impossible with God, so let's don't start now. And, and whether we saw it or not or, or, or we're able to see if a, a fish was big enough or how he survived in that, we can go through all of those semantics and try to figure that out. We probably won't. It probably won't help, but here's the thing. We get a great story from Jonah. And, and in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to put some of these on the screen, you, you can kind of see the beginning of this story, and we're actually going to walk through the whole thing. And so Jonah 1, 1 and 2 uh, just tells us this, that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And, and the reason why this is so important is because Jonah was actually the prophet of Israel at the time. And, and what we know in Israel is there were 12 tribes, and at some point they could not get along any, uh, anymore. And so they split between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And 10 of the tribes went to the north with Israel, and two of the tribes went to the south with Judah and Benjamin. And what happened in Israel was there were no good kings in Israel at the time of this split. Bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. They really didn't do what they were supposed to do, even though they did have some success, and they did have uh, some comfort, and they had some great things happening there. And so, for example, uh, uh, King Jeroboam II was the king over Israel, while Jonah actually was the prophet to Israel. So he doesn't just pop up in this story. He's been in Israel for a long time. You can see that in 2 Kings chapter 14. And Jonah actually has been prophesying. So he gets a word from the Lord. He tells the king he's trying to return them back to worshiping God. But Israel had enjoyed such a time of, of, of prosperity, but they were still fighting with this group called the Assyrians. And now the Assyrians are going to come into play a little bit later on because they're actually going to come in and wipe out the remainder of Judah and exile them. But until that time, they're still fighting with Israel, coming back in and taking some of the promised land, the territory that God had said to Israel is yours. And Jonah had been instructing the king and instructing the kingdom, trust God, trust God, trust God, turn back to him. And they would do it a little bit and they wouldn't do it. And they'd do it a little bit and they wouldn't do it. 
And so Jonah actually gets this message from God. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, why is Nineveh such a big deal? It was the capital city of Assyria, and the Assyrians did not worship the one true God. In fact, the Assyrians worshiped a multitude of gods, and they, they, they offered terrible sacrifices, including human sacrifices. They were not a good people. And so when God says to Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh, what he's saying is go to the worst, nastiest, most difficult, God-forsaken place on the entire planet and go tell them I love you. And Jonah's going, not a chance, not happening. I don't like Assyrians. I hate them, in fact. I hate them so much, God, that I'm willing to disobey you and not go there. And so Jonah and he takes off for the great city, uh, and he, uh, he does not take off for the great city. He gets in a boat, and he tries to go to a place called Tarshish to get away from God. And so it's one of the funniest places in the Bible where it says Jonah went to a place outside of the presence of God. Well, there is no such place, but he was looking for it. He was trying to find it. And, and, and listen, disobedience is not a place outside of the presence of God. It's just disobedience. And I think it's okay for us to understand that because if we're not careful, what we think is when we're disobedient, God's distant from us. In fact, he is to a point, but he's not absent from us. And Jonah says, I tell you what, here's what I'll do. I'm going to get in this boat. I'm going to go to Tarshish outside of the presence of the God because the reason why I'm going to go there and I think that God's not there is because all those people are not Israelites. All those people are not Israelites, so therefore they're evil. They're, they're not worthy. And so I'm going to go someplace where there's not a bunch of Israelites, where there's no one true God, and that way God won't, won't mess with me. Well, along the way, the, the, the storm kicks up. And he's in the boat, and that thing is just going crazy. I mean, the, the, the waves are crashing, and the, the men know that the best way to survive this is throw everything off the ship and make it lighter so that they don't carry on more water and sink the boat. And meanwhile, they're throwing everything off the boat, and they're all praying to their own gods. And they have these little idols and everything else, and Jonah's just sitting back there just kind of hanging out. And at one time, the captain looks over at Jonah, and he goes, hey, why don't you pray to your God, and maybe he'll stop this. And Jonah says, i got a better idea. Why don't you throw me overboard, and God will stop this. And the captain looks at him, he's like, no. And then the men start realizing, no, I don't, I don't think we're going to do that. I, we're, we don't want to be guilty of shedding innocent blood. And so I, let's do this. Let's try to outrow God. And so they start rowing the boat in the middle of this storm. Guess where they, where they made it? Nowhere. And finally, Jonah convinces them, throw me overboard, and they do. They had fought to save his life. He was trying to get away from God. And look, if you can't outrun God, if you can't outsail God, you probably can't outswim God either. And so here's Jonah in the water, and this great fish comes up and swallows him up. And in chapter 2 of Jonah, what we see is Jonah talking to God. He's lamenting. He's, he's still arguing with God a little bit, but he finally kind of strikes up a deal, and he goes, okay, here's my predicament. I'm inside the belly of this giant fish, and God wants me to go talk to these evil, horrible Assyrian people in Nineveh. Lose-lose situation as far as Jonah was concerned. But he embraced it. And the last verse of chapter 2 says that, that God caused the great fish to vomit Jonah up on the land. Now, I want you to just think about that for a second, that that, that word is very strong in the original Hebrew. It's, it caused him to vomit him up on the land. And, and so Jonah wakes up. He's on land. He's probably covered in goo and fish stuff. You know, he, he, he's, a, he's a happy sight to see. But then he does something absolutely amazing. And, and Jonah chapter 3 is where we're really going to spend most of our time this morning. In Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, this is how we, we see Jonah... Uh, submitting finally to God, kind of. And he says this, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. And so God said to him, Look, hey, you don't even have to come up with a sermon this morning. I I'm going to give it to you. Just go to the city, and as soon as I get there, start talking to these people about what I told you to talk about. 
And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And so what we think is that, that Nineveh was maybe 75 miles across. Now there's no evidence that the city itself was that large, but what we're thinking is that Jonah walked around to all these little surrounding towns and villages and all the other places and then went into Nineveh, the, the great capital city. Here's what's remarkable to me. The second time God came to Jonah, told him the exact same thing, told him not to worry about what to preach because actually you already know the message and I want you to go and talk to these people. And here's Jonah walking around Assyria, the, the, the great enemy of Israel, and he's teaching nothing but gloom and doom for, for who knows how long. We know at least three or four days, right? Three days worth of with the crosshair. And he's, he's a foreigner preaching a foreign message of death and destruction all by himself with no army to support him. And somehow God said, I'm going to preserve you through this. Nobody in Nineveh thought to lay a finger on him. Nobody in Nineveh said, I'm going to shut this loud mouth up. I'm going to stop this guy from, from talking this way. He's our enemy. Nobody in Nineveh thought to do so. Why might that be? Because God said, I have a very important message for Nineveh, and I'm going to see that that message gets conveyed. And Jonah, I want you to be the one who does that. And so if you hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this about Jonah and apply it to our own lives, is that, that Jonah's issue had nothing to do with the mission. It had everything to do with the message. His issue was the message. It wasn't the mission. He, he was not unprepared. He didn't know the word of God. He, it wasn't like he was ignorant to what God wanted him to do. What his problem was, was that he was not going to take that message to a whole bunch of Assyrian, terrible, horrible, nasty people because he felt they did not deserve God's love, grace, and truth. And so while it wasn't a problem for him to go there, it was a problem for him to go there and tell them the truth of God, which is what God had asked him to do. Many of us sometimes have the same problem with the message when we decide where it should or should not go or why we should or should not take it. And many times we hide behind the false, the false narrative that says, I don't know enough. I don't have enough information. I'm not learned enough. God said, I'm going to give you the word to speak, and I'm going to tell you where to go and say it. And so if God will do that for Jonah, he'll do it for us too. And we have to be cautious about making sure that we don't get behind the message because we're afraid of the mission. And really more to Jonah's point, so bad, in fact, that, that the message was so, so hard for him to give to the Ninevites that he hated them. He hated them because there was such a nationalistic pride at the time in Israel. They had, they had enjoyed so much comfort, had enjoyed so much endurance. I mean, after all, they are God's chosen people. And so if they're God's chosen people, then why should I go to God's not chosen people? regardless of who they are, especially if they worship foreign gods and they sacrifice to idols and they've been attacking us and taking our land. I'm the prophet of Israel. God, you don't really want me to go and talk to those people, do you? One commentator even said that Jonah had such a nationalistic pride and the pride of Israel at the time was so great that he said it was just deep xenophobia and racism. That, that, that Jonah said it didn't matter if you're not Israelite, I'm not bringing the message of God to you. I'm not going to do it. And he was so adamant about that, that, that he tried to run from God and got swallowed by a whale. Now, we don't get swallowed by whales, but we do get beaten and defeated by a lot of other things by our own doing, don't we? Because, look, that whale didn't jump into the boat. They threw Jonah into the water. And, and we've got to be cautious that we're not jumping ship and waiting to see how we're going to fare differently. It's not going to happen. And so Jonah's issue was not well, was the message and not the mission. But look what he does in, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 6. He says this. 
the, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and set in ashes. Jonah didn't even go to the king first. He's just walking around town saying, gloom on you, gloom on you. In 40 days, God's going to wipe you all out, and I've got a great place picked out over here to watch your destruction. It's going to be a bad day for you. But I told him, Lord, I, I know uh, Phil used to be in, uh, in rodeo and stuff, but there's a thing called bulldogging, and that's where you, you the, the horse and the steer, they fire out of the gate at the same time. You jump off of it, and you, you grab it, throw it down, and you tie it up. And w- the clock stops when you throw your hands up, right, Phil? And, that, and whoever does that the fastest, that's when you know you're done. And this is kind of Jonah's approach to going and preaching the good news of God's love to the, to the Ninevites, is that he went in there as fast as he could. He jumped off, he wrestled it to the ground, he threw his hands up. Okay, God, I'm done. I did it. I checked my box. I didn't do it lovingly. I didn't do it kind. I didn't do it with passion. The only passion I had was for their destruction. And, and he did that. We sometimes check that box too whenever God sends us on some sort of mission. Okay, we got the message out of the way. We check the box on the mission and we, we skip over the message. And this was Jonah. And the king, not going to the king, which by the way, that's what you would do. You walk into somebody's foreign land and say, I have a life-changing message for you and all your people. You go to them first and you say, help me out. And the king heard it and he heard the truth of the message regardless of how it was delivered. And he tore his clothes, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth and ashes, even had all the animals refrain from drinking and had them covered in ashes as well. And here's Jonah going, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me, God? Are you kidding me? All I had to do was tell them the truth and they believed that? That's not what I wanted. That's not what I agreed to, God. And so now Jonah and God are still having an issue. And and look, in verse 10, he says this. He says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Forty days in the Bible is a time of purification. And what we see in Jonah is this Christ-likeness. He's three days in the belly of of the fish, just like Christ was three days in the tomb. And he says, in 40 days, God's going to come and wipe out all of Nineveh unless you repent and, and tell God you're sorry for violating his laws and turn to the one true God. And so for 40 days, he's thinking this is going to happen. But the people repented. They turned their heart to God. They said, we're sorry for what we've done. We believe in the truth of what you said. And God said, you know what? I'm not going to destroy you. And all that did was just make Jonah even angrier. Even angrier. He says, I'm not going to destroy you. We've got to be careful when we see God relent that we think that he changes his heart and his mind. Here's the thing. And, And Dr. Tony Evans does a good job talking about what it means for God to relent. When God relents, he does show grace and mercy for us. He shows that he loves us. But when God relents, it is, it is a response to our repentant behavior and our, our obedience to him. It's not God changing his character. God changes his character never, and that's a good thing. But God deals with sin always. And there are two ways that God deals with sin. He deals with sin either by destruction and punishment, by wiping it out to an unrepentant heart, Or he deals with sin by blotting it out with grace and mercy and truth. And in the Old Testament, it was repentance that led to salvation. In the New Testament, it was repentance that led to salvation because of the blood of Christ that wiped all of that out. And so Jonah is here watching this happen, and now he's getting really frustrated, saying, I cannot believe this. God, you said you were going to wipe these people out. You promised me when you vomited me up onto the beach, I just knew for sure that I was going to smell the death of a, of a, a, a hundred thousand Ninevites. And now you're changing your mind? What are, these people are horrible. They're awful. They're not Israelites. They're less than me. 
And Jonah is learning a really hard lesson, but he hasn't quite learned it yet. And we see in Jonah chapter 4, verse, verse 1 through 4, how he really gets agitated with God. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's saying, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to act that way. I just knew it. I just knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were going to be kind. I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you were going to be loving. I knew you were going to be forgiving. I knew you were going to let these people off the hook. I knew you were going to treat them the way that I don't want you to treat them. And I want to see you wipe them out and destroy them. And I told you this before I ever left Israel, my country, before I ever got on a boat and tried to run from you. But, oh, no, you just kept pursuing me. Have you ever, have you ever read Jonah and thought that he was really running from God? Because that's where we miss the point. He wasn't he wasn't running away from God. He was running from him. God was pursuing him. You don't run from something that's not chasing you. And God was pursuing him. And he says, listen, I tried to run away from you, and you kept coming after me. And then you showed up to be exactly who you said you were going to be. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And I don't like it because it doesn't change my world at all. Because I've got you, Lord. I'm your, I'm your prophet, after all, and you love me. But I just don't want to see you loving those people. Isn't that terrible? Jonah's just got the wrong heart and the wrong attitude. And, and God says, Jonah, that's not what I have for you. That's not what I have for you. Look what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord uh, said, do you do well to be angry? He says, you know what, God? I cannot reconcile the fact that you are gracious and kind and merciful and loving towards these awful people, whom, by the way, I've judged to be awful, and I haven't listened to how you've seen them and look at them. Does this sound familiar to anybody in today's world? Does this sound at all familiar how Jonah looked at somebody and said they're different from me, they believe differently from me, and, and they practice something different than I do, and so therefore they must be wiped out and destroyed? It's the same story thousands and thousands of years later. Instead of looking at them and saying they're made in my image, and yes, they're far from me, and, and they're not making the decisions they need to make, but they're made in my image. And Jonah, I love them, and I want them to hear the truth. Here's where Jonah missed out. He had this nationalistic pride. He was so arrogant about being a, a, an Israelite. He was so determined that God had made him a part of the chosen people that he missed the rest of the story. That Israel was to be a light into the nations, to all the nations, for all people to know the good news and the truth of God. And so while they enjoyed this nationalistic pride and they had this land that was given to them that God said, I'm going I'm, I'm to give to you, it was for the purpose of going and telling others about my great love for you. And Jonah missed it. He says, no, God, I want you all to myself. And I, I, I determine what I will or won't do. I want you all to myself, and these people don't get to hear from you. And God said, Jonah, you, you're throwing a little pity party here, and you're feeling sorry for yourself. And how's that working out for you? I mean, I can hear God in a Dr. Phil kind of voice, can't you? You know, Jonah, do you, are, are, you, are you sure this is the attitude you want to have? You, you really want to be angry with me about something that, that you've just decided you're not going to do? I mean, when you throw a tantrum, it basically just says to everybody else, I haven't, I haven't figured out how to respond to you. Uh, I don't know how to talk to you in my great emotions that are overwhelming me. And so while I may have a good point or a good fear or, or a good heart, I'm so emotionally charged up that I can't communicate it in such a way that even remotely sounds um, uh, loving. I, I can't talk to you about that. And God is saying, hey, Jonah, you're kind of missing the point. Are, are, you, are you doing, how's that working out for you? 
Or do you do well to be angry, really, Jonah? Because um, your 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 fear, your anger, your 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 better than you has got you to this place. And so Jonah's out in the desert. He's built a little booth, and he's out there, and he's looking, and he's waiting for the destruction of Nineveh because he's still hoping God's going to be on his side with this. He's still hoping that Nineveh's going down. And so he's got a, a nice little place picked out there on the outskirts of town. He built himself a little booth, but it just wasn't quite enough to keep the sun off of him. Uh, and so what does he do? He prays to God. Huh, I find that interesting. Um, he, he, he tries to do something on his own. It's not good enough. He prays to God. And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, it tells us this. Oh, I just read that. Huh. We've already read that, right? Verse 10, I'm so sorry. It says this, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Jonah was there, and he was hot, and the sun's beating down on him. And God causes this giant plant with these big leaves to give him some shade. And Jonah kind of thanks God, but not really. He feels like he's owed it. He's deserved of him because I'm an Israelite. I'm a prophet of God. And so God causes to, uh, it to grow. And then he causes this worm to come by and eat it up. And there's Jonah again, complaining again. Oh, man, it's hot again. And God didn't provide for me. And, and I thought I was the guy. And I've been disobedient to him. And, and he, he's complaining, nor did you make it grow, he says, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Hey, plants just don't pop up and go away that quickly unless God has something to do with that. Not a plant like that. And he caused the worm to eat it. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? And so it's weird that Jonah just kind of ends this way. And many people have debated why it just ends kind of abruptly and strangely. But here's what God is talking with Jonah about at the end. He says, hey, Jonah, man, you're upset about a plant and you don't care about 120,000 people. Jonah, you're upset about what you didn't get, and you don't care about 120,000 people. Jonah, you're you're concerned that somehow you're going to lose what I've already promised you, and because my character doesn't change, and I don't withhold from from my people my promises, that that somehow you're going to lose something because I'm also loving other people, and you care more about yourself than you do 120,000 people. Jonah, do you understand what would happen if 120,000 people came to faith in Christ all of a sudden? They they come to trust in the one true God. It's the Old Testament. They come to trust in the one true God and how that could change the region. And if your people, the Israelites, my chosen people, the one who have my promised land, if they would welcome them into God's family in the right way, which I've laid out for you through all the other prophets in the scripture, do you understand how different this region would be? And it is possible. It's just absolutely possible, Jonah, that if you would figure out how to love one another, that the Assyrians may not be the ones who keep aggressing you and battling you and fighting you and taking your land and will eventually wipe you out and push you out. Have you ever thought for just a second, Jonah, that you could be the linchpin difference of the future? That if you could go back and report back to Israel what God had done in Nineveh, the most horrible city in the world, if you could go back and tell them how different the world may be, you know, I don't know how many of you know the story of, of Genghis Khan and, and, and that whole group of the Khans, but do you know that, that at one time Genghis Khan controlled all of, of current China and Mongolia and part of Siberia and southern Russia? It was one of the largest landmass kingdoms in the world. And, and when, when Marco Polo, the explorer, went to him and told him about God, he, says, send, he asked the Pope to send him a thousand missionaries, and the Pope sent him three. How much different might that part of the world be had Christianity made its way in full force? We can only but speculate, but we can trust that that had the Pope said, I'm going to send a thousand missionaries instead of just three, that the world might be different today, right? 
What God has called each of us to do and to understand and to trust and to believe is that the message is what we need to take and the mission he'll take care of. Jonah's problem was not the mission. He was more than prepared to do that. His problem was the message, and he decided who did and didn't deserve to hear that and when and how they did. You know, I'm going to tell you, this, this last couple of months has been, has been exciting and challenging all at the same time trying to figure out how do we do church or some similar to church and then turn around and, and fighting off those that are saying it's not real church and all these other things. I've had pastors call it faux church. And, and, and we've debated all those things, but I'm going to tell you something. Nothing stops God's message. God's people may stand flat-footed and say, I'm not going to go, but God's going to see that his message goes where it's supposed to go. The difference is, is that we have to choose to go with him, that we have to, to sign up and say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to your will. That was Jonah's issue. He had his own will and not God's will. And his problem was he decided what he would and wouldn't do and what was right and wasn't right, and he wasn't listening to God. And throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, what we see over and over and over and over again is they all did what was right in their own eyes. And every time that happened, what did God do? He sent judges, and he knocked them around a couple of times, and he killed a bunch of them, and he enslaved them, and eventually he tore up the entire northern kingdom of Israel, and he left just a little bit of Judah left, and guess who came in and took them out later on? The Assyrians from the great city of Nineveh, and then he kicked them out of the promised land, and they had to go, and they had to dwell, and they had to learn, they had to eat food they didn't want to eat, and they had to be taught things they didn't want to teach, and some guy named Nebuchadnezzar, ever hear that guy? He's going to make them bow down to this giant golden bunny if you've ever watched the Veggie Tales. We need to know that God has an amazing message, and it's for all people. Jonah was one of the first examples that God said that I want all people to know me, to love me, and to trust me. But I want them to hear it from you. Share your experiences that God has in your life with others. And don't let anything get in the way of that. I don't know enough. I'm not prepared enough. If you have a story of God changing your life, where God found you on your common ground, as we like to say, then you have more than enough. And it's not the message that's in the way. It's the mission. And you, you have to make sure that you're not turning away from what God wants you to do. And that's what Jonah did. So the major thing that we see in this minor prophet is God's will is going gonna, is gonna to win every single time. But he invites us to be a part of that. He wants us to go out and to share the message with others. And we don't get to make the distinction of who does and who doesn't get to hear it. We tell everybody, and they get to choose whether they're going to listen to God or not. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank